Arabella A. Ortega, author of Ghost Squad and Witchlings. And I'm Pat Cho, author of Wicked Fox and Vicious Spirits. And this is Write or Die. Yay! Yay! Hello! Eventually, we're not going to be able to say all our books. I was thinking about that (laughs) because by next year, it'll be like, Hi, I'm Clarabella Ortega. I am the author of Ghost Squad. And this is our rainbow. And Witchlings. And... <laughs> I'm gonna be like listing like a million books. So I think once once a new book comes out, I'll probably just say the new book that is out, right? Yeah, like I the think most that's fine. One. I feel like people want to hear about what's new with us. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, if you want to know about every single book, you just go to the show notes. But yeah, I was thinking that too because I never say author of Wicked Fox and Vicious Spirits and Once Upon a K Prom. Like I don't say that because it it's just so many like too right? much. Which is so funny because three sounds, it feels like a lot, especially when you're just starting out because like we fought so hard to get even one, Mm. but like there's all these statistics about like, oh, once you get to such and such milestone and it's like one book versus five books and I'm like five books (laughs) so far away. (laughs) It's actually so cool to think about that, like the books we have under contract, like I guess by 2023, I'll have uh, three, four books, possibly five. <laughs> Who knows? And then Question mark secrets. And then anthol- and then three <laughs> anthologies. So yeah, I, I'm I gonna thought... have a shelf, a Clarabelle Ortega shelf. Oh my god, you will! Oh my god, so will I. Well, I have this really one one really skinny shelf in my living room where. I can really only fit five books on a shelf anyway. So I'm very, like, I'll probably have a Clarabelle A. Ortega shelf by the end of 2022. That's really nice. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting. It's nice to think of us having. Hold on. Sorry. David's making noise. (laughs) I thought it was Poncho. No. (laughs) He got home. He's like trying to be so quiet. Have you, have you, have you seen Scott Pilgrim before? Oh yes, of course. So he's like, he's like nice chow when she says, I'll be quieter. (laughs) And you don't even even know she was there before that line. I love that part of the, um, I love knives. Me too. Justice for knives. Anyway. Um, so, (laughs) so yeah, it's very strange to think of having more than one book out. And I think what you said uh, it's like we fought so hard for just one fought so hard for just our agents like mm-hmm. to to get to this point where it's like we're gonna have multiple books is really cool and it's surreal to think about to be honest it's exciting I'm really excited because I e- even though I do have two books out right now it was the same duology right so it's all the same world and the same characters but like my next book coming out is a completely new story and like new characters. So I'm like really excited to introduce them to people, but I'm scared at the same time, you know, because like people liked what I wrote before, but that doesn't always a guarantee they'll write what, like what you write next. Right. So I get like really nervous. But at the same time, I feel like you we don't write the same thing over and over again for a reason. Like <laughs> we want to try new things. So I'm I'm hoping that people love my new characters I really I'm in the middle of actually revising right now so I'm really in it <laughs> yeah it, it is really cool it's cool it's cool to dive into new worlds and it's scary too it's like intimidating um but I guess we'll see what happens I'm also like deep I'm deep in revisions right now and I had like a 
mini breakdown earlier with Kat um, <laughs> before we started recording. Like, I don't know if I can do this. It's it's hard because like <laughs> you want to do better than the last book, and like you fear that the mistakes that you made the last time you'll make them again, or you'll make like all new mistakes, which you will. Like that's inevitable. Like no book is mm-hmm. going to be perfect, but it's still so. There's a lot of pressure, you know. There is, but. I think that the one thing that I've learned is I sound drunk. I'm not. I <laughs> the one thing that I learned, you guys. <laughs> listen, listen. Um, the one thing that I learned about myself in the last year is that I do have the ability to kind of like say screw it about all the the outside stuff and just like focus on the things that make me happy. Mm. I had to do it in order to survive. Like I. I really like needed this coping mechanism and I think that it's a really good thing to have not saying like you shouldn't care about other people's feelings this is more like the whole idea of like what the world thinks of you matters more than what you think of yourself that we're raised to believe Mm -hmm. um letting go of that is so freeing and so good and and I don't necessarily think I'm completely free of it but I do think that I'm getting better at it and I'm a happier person because of that so I like I like those moments where I can sit there just with myself and be like, you know what? I like my story, though. I like it. And that matters. You know? Yeah. And you know what? It's I, I feel more than anything like. Like, I obviously want my readers to be happy and I want to find new readers. And I mostly don't want to, like, let myself down, like, disappoint myself. Because, like, one of the things I was telling Kat earlier is I feel like my ideas are really good. And sometimes that intimidates me because I'm, like, do I have the writing chops to sort of, like, live up to the premise? Like, do I have what it takes to, like, execute this? And sometimes I'll be, like, oh, maybe another author would be able to do such a better job at this than me. And that makes me feel bad. Um, More so than thinking about, like, people who hate it because you'll find the readers who who like your book and who who and there will be obviously people who don't like it no matter how good it is you know everybody has those people because tastes vary but for me I just don't want to let the story down like I don't want to let the potential go to waste um that's the thing that really like keeps me up at night <laughs> i mean i get that um, do you remember our interview with emily xrpan and novarensima mm-hmm. yeah that was a really good one yeah that's a really good one everyone go listen to it um but what emily said about leveling up right like like the book like the book idea when you first have it is perfect you know exactly like what you want it to be but then once you start working on it it gets messy um, this isn't the exact quote. It's like an Ira Glass quote um, because like your execution of it is flawed because you're human and humans are f- flawed kind of mm-hmm. an idea, I think. Um, and how Emily had to go through a bunch of like fails before she found the book that she felt like she truly leveled up in. Mm-hmm. And I, I think about that a lot because I do think it's important for us to um, push ourselves. yeah. I feel like if we're not, if we're only doing the things that we already know we're good at, then we're going to be running in place, right? Like you're never, ever, ever going to evolve as a writer if you don't try to do something that scares you and try to do something that you're like, can I do this? I'm not sure, but let me try kind of a feeling. Um, And I think, 
And I think like the worst thing for an author, actually, now that we are in it, I think personally, the worst thing would be to never evolve, to like have our writing stay exactly the same through our whole entire careers. Um, I think if looking back, you know, five, 10 years from now, and every single book I have looks and sounds exactly the same. And it's like, and it's like, whatever I'm doing, I'm doing perfectly, but it's because I'm doing the same thing over and over again. I would be really depressed, you know? That's really true. And that's a good way to look at it also, because there are things that I feel really confident about in my writing. Like, I feel really happy and confident about like my middle grade voice and like the dialogue between my characters and like the dynamic between them what I sometimes get a little bit uh sort of um self-conscious about is is how I'm pulling off the plot and like specific plot points Mm -hmm. and I think part of that right now that's really hard especially is because my brain is swimming (laughs) <laughs> with like all sorts of you know what I mean like it's yes. so hard to focus right now uh-huh. I already have a hard time focusing like I feel like I might have like undiagnosed um, ADHD sometimes mm-hmm. because like there are a lot of things that I uh, sort of sort of uh, identify with with people who ha- who do have it mm-hmm. but like it's very hard for me to to put everything in like a neat compartment mm-hmm. like somebody asked me on Twitter the other day they were like how do you uh, how do you organize your world building? And I was thinking about it and I was like, my world building is a mess in the beginning because <laughs> I will write something on a post-it note and then the, uh, another thing on a napkin and then one thing on a notebook that's like up on a shelf. And then I'll also have a Google doc and I'll also like, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Wherever I am in the moment, like I write it down there and then I'll have to like go searching like a scavenger hunt of my own memories, like where I put everything. It's like a memento. <laughs> Seriously, like, like memento. That's on how yourself. every that's how every book is, and that can be. I'm trying to get better at like implementing systems that will help me be less stressed out. One of them mm-hmm. is outlining things from now on, so that I'm not, I'm not as frazzled, and um. And I'm and I'm not as scared to jump into a story because I'm not sure what exactly is going to happen or get stuck, really, because that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me, the plot and like making sure that I don't forget things and pulling things off in a way that really makes sense when you're deep in the story and when your brain is a mess, it's intimidating. Um, especially when you're writing on deadline, right? Because when you have that time and space to like step back and look at the story from a different angle, you can really like let it breathe and come back to it with like clear eyes. But when you're on a tight deadline, you don't get that luxury. Mm-hmm. So it can be intimidating. It can be, it can be hard. For sure. I, the thing that I do, cause I'm very much like you, I mean, you might, you might have ADHD. A lot of the things that we've talked about this before, a lot mm-hmm. of the things that you go through in terms of like your mental space and like your productivity is very similar to me. And obviously I was diagnosed with ADHD a year ago. Was it, a year ago. It, oh my God. Was it a year? I thought it was two years. Was it? No, no, no. It was the beginning of 2020. It was after okay. my first book came out, but before my second book came out. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, so um, a thing that I do, though, is because like, obviously something worked for us, right? We've both written mul- multiple books at this point. Yeah. Um, and, sold, and sold like multiple books. So it's not like we're failing. Uh, but I think it's like more kind of trying to um, 
trying to streamline the process for ourselves because uh, all that time wasted trying to figure out your, what your old notes mean and connecting the dots. It's like, you know, that meme of it's always sunny in Philadelphia with like that that board, <laughs> the, the like conspiracy <laughs> board. And we're like, we're Carol, doing all the pieces fit. Carol. Um, that, but, that episode. <laughs> so what I do is I let myself be messy in the beginning, though, because I feel like I feel like that is a part of the process. I feel like just because it's not normal doesn't mean it doesn't it's not valid. Um, and I let myself be as messy as possible. And I do my messy first draft and my messy notes. And then afterwards, um, I know like a lot of people do outlines and synopses at the beginning before they write. But then I write a post first draft new outline where I outline what I actually wrote and not what I meant to write. And mm. that's like the new story that, that now that's my new foundation. Okay, this is the story now. And then I take all the pieces of the world that I like created and I make a new story Bible. Um, and I know not everyone does a story Bible, but I've learned how to do this because of my work in book packaging, as well as my freelance work in serialized online fiction. Um, and and so making a, a world story Bible really does help because then you are kind of like taking all the different pieces and putting them all in some kind of order. Mm. Um, but I'm doing it after the fact. And I feel like that helps because I'm still allowed to be like wild and creative in my first process. And then afterwards I come in and I'm like, okay, let's clean off like all these, you know, all these pieces that like I cut away and I don't need anymore and just like gather all the pieces that do fit and make it into like a more cohesive picture so I actually like to outline after my first draft. That's I, I like that. That's 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 a good method. I feel like w with me, I feel like I am gonna try to outline before only because, and this was something that uh, two of my heroes both like in quick succession, like the same week. I was on a panel with two of them, and they both sort of like made me feel like maybe I should try outlining. So R.L. Stein <laughs> outlines all his Goosebumps books, like, chapter by chapter before he starts. And he's like, that way I'm not hesitating and I just can have fun with each chapter, but I know exactly what's going to happen, so it's less pressure on me. Mm -hmm. And then what Lee said was, I don't have time to rewrite a whole book if I mess it up the first time. <laughs> Fair. And, like... That is sort of the point at where I am right now, where I don't have time because I'm literally like, Kat knows this. I went from one deadline and I'm right back on it again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And like, it's just back to back. And I won't be off deadline probably for most of this year. So yeah. I don't have time to like completely revamp a book like I would have at the beginning of my career. So I feel like for me it's about implementing new tools so that i can suffer the least amount <laughs> possible suffer the least it's the goal of all publishing <laughs> right because i i do feel like when you're juggling multiple projects and when you are stressed about a very big project like witchlings is the first series that i'm working on that's like contracted and sold mm -hmm. and that intimidates me and there's a lot going on in my brain there's a lot going on in my brain, even when I don't have books that I'm writing, okay? So this is even, <laughs> like, there's more going on. So, like, I I basically have to find a way to organize my thoughts and my projects that's not going to overwhelm me and help me to work in, like, the most conducive way possible. 
That makes sense. I, th- I think also the advice that people give about how they do their process is all based on how fast you write to begin with. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm a f- I'm technically, I think, a faster drafter than you. Like f- you are, you are, because I'll write for three weeks and then I'll I will not be able to work for like a month. That's <laughs> my problem. Yeah, for sure. I think like I'll draft really fast and really messy, and then I'll be like, "What did I just make?" And then I'll have to figure it out. Um, so it's always kind of been my process to like figure out what in the world I'm writing in the first place. I can't, I like, like if I come up with a book idea and someone tries to get me to tell them like, what's the themes of this book? I'll be like, I don't know. I haven't read it. I haven't written it yet. (laughs) So like, I don't know what the themes are. Like the themes come out as I'm writing because I'm discovering, I'm a discovery writer naturally. I'm a discovery writer who ended up having jobs um, that made me think more like a plotter mm. and I was like how does this fit into my method and I found out how it fits like it just fits in in the middle instead of in the very beginning you know yeah that makes a lot of sense my favorite part is also of like being that kind of writer being a pantser like a discovery writer is what we were talking about before is like doing stuff that you didn't realize that you did and like when people will interview you about it and be like oh this was such a complex like like uh, uh, like story device that you used and you're like uh-huh because you're like I didn't mean to do that that was totally subconscious it happened by accident uh, but yep I did totally did it on purpose mm-hmm. that's what yes. we're going with <laughs> I love it when people are like this character represents such and such struggle for the main character right like that's why they show up at this like important moment and they say that one line and I'm like yes <laughs> that is why they said it and the thing is is like I don't like I do think like subconsciously we are probably are doing more than we think we're doing mm-hmm. but there's so much going on in our heads that we don't notice it until someone isolates it and is like oh is that why you had them do this and you're like oh yeah okay that makes sense it felt so right in the moment and I never knew why <laughs> yeah it's um it's really funny I that's my favorite and that seems to be a very universal thing like I always see authors talk about that on Twitter <laughs> I love it I love it I mean the best is when I've been at book events now because, oh, book events. Those are the days. I miss you so much. I've been at book (laughs) events where I'm like next to like a big author who's written like 10 plus books, right? And like Mm -hmm. a reader will come up. We're like uh, in the signing line together. Like we're sitting next to each other and one of the readers will come up and I hear the conversation. They're like, oh my God, I love such and such character. And they'll name them by name. And the author's like, thank you so much, blah, blah, blah. And then they'll turn to me afterwards and they'll be like, I don't remember who that character is. (laughs) And I'll be like... I'm sorry, <laughs> like, but when you've written like 10 plus books and someone comes up and they're like, I like this side character from your third book that you ever wrote. Sometimes you forget what that name is, you know, <laughs> it cracks me up every time. I'm like, that's going to be me, though, because I yeah. can't remember what I ate for lunch yesterday. You know, <laughs> like, people have asked me. I remember I was at this highlights thing and someone was like, oh, did you name this character after another author? And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, this author's name is the same as this character that you have in chapter one. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, it's a, it, it's, it's this underlying like message that. <laughs> no, like- I actually didn't lie. I was like, I, um, I, I didn't realize I was doing that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I appreciate your, your method of honesty. I feel like I want, I'll just want to do that. I want, well, no. 
I want to do what you do. But when I'm caught in the moment, I get like, I get frozen and I get like really nervous. And I just like try to play along because I don't want the other person to feel awkward because I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, if this happened at like a, like a conference, I, I don't know. I would probably still answer this way, but I'm, it depends sort of like on the setting too, right? Because you also don't want to like embarrass the person that is asking mm -hmm. you. And like that yeah. could easily be like a thing where they feel bad. Um, this yeah. was someone who I was friendly with and it was like all other writers. So I was just like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like if it's you're on a panel and someone's at like the little microphone <laughs> and it's like a room of like, you know, 100 people and they're like saying this, you got to be like, thank you so much. Like, I, I love that character, too. You have to do that. <laughs> you don't want to embarrass anyone. Uh, yeah, absolutely. For Luceli Luna, ghosts are more than just the family business. Shortly before Halloween, Luceli and her best friend Sid cast a spell that accidentally awakens malicious spirits wreaking havoc throughout St. Augustine. Together, they must join forces with Sid's witch grandmother Babette and her tubby tabby chunk to fight the haunting head-on and reverse the curse to save the town and Luceli's firefly spirit before it's too late. With the family dynamics of Coco and action-packed adventure of Ghostbusters, Clarabel A. Ortega delivers both a thrillingly spooky and delightfully sweet debut novel with Ghost Squad. Order today at buyghostsquad.com. This week's guest is Preeti Chibber, called Spider-Man superfan and author by Publishers Weekly. Preeti is a YA author, speaker, and freelance writer. She worked as a publishing professional. She has written for Sci-Fi, Polygon, Book Riot, Book Riot Comics, The Nerds of Color, and The Mary Sue, among others. Her debut original middle grade orientation, Marvel's Avengers Assembly No. 1, came out from Scholastic in August 2020, and her picture book, A Jedi You Will Be, was released by Disney last fall. She's also featured in the forthcoming YA and adult anthologies, Battle of the Bands, and Stone Sword Table. You can find her co-hosting the podcast, Daisy Geek Girls. She's appeared on several panels at New York Comic Con, San Diego Comic Con, and on screen on the Sci-Fi Network. Honestly, you probably recognize her from one of several BuzzFeed, look at these tweets, Twitter lists. She usually spends her time reading a ridiculous amount of a young adult, but is also ready to jump into most fandoms at a moment's notice. <laughs> Hi, Preeti. How are you doing? <laughs> good how are you <laughs> pretty good you've done so much stuff like i knew that you were really involved in like everything fandom everything. pretty much yeah <laughs> but like seeing it all written out is just like awe-inspiring <laughs> yes to so many things you know it's all of it sounds super exciting and interesting so i would have said yes too i do not blame you <laughs> it's all cool stuff it's all cool stuff <laughs> Um, but yeah, we're so excited to have you on the podcast. I think like, usually we do like, how did you get published? But I kind of want to do like, how did you become as cool as you are? <laughs> um, I feel like that's a better question. But yeah, like, how did you get involved in, in all the stuff you got involved in? Just take us through your professional life and you can just stop wherever you want. <laughs> Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because it's now it's cool. But when I was in high school, it was it was not it was not cool at all. So like this very much started, I feel like when I was a teenager and like building my own websites for the Backstreet Boys, and like writing fan fiction. Amazing. Um, Wait, who's your favorite Backstreet Boy? 
Okay, it it was Nick because I was oh. I know. Now I would say like Kevin because I'm an adult. Kevin is valid. I think all Nick is valid too. Like, what are you gonna do? Yeah. He had like the sort of Leo DiCaprio thing going when he was younger, yeah. and that was like that was like a weak point for people our age so um, yeah I get it you're like, no, I was 13 when Titanic came out oh, and mm-hmm. it, was, it was a lost cause like that was it that mm-hmm. was it I went to see Titanic on a school trip by the way which is very weird oh but... weird I went to I went to see with my grandmother oh and even and weirder. when the the naked drawing scene came <laughs> up it was the most awkward theater experience <laughs> oh I was like blushing for you <laughs> It was, I mean, I I feel like that moment is forever seared into my brain. I will never unremember it, which is unfortunate. But it's, I don't know. It's kind of like the a rite of passage to have super embarrassing <laughs> moments. Yeah. That it, it's it's Kate embarrassing. Kate Winslet disrobe on a big screen with your grandmother. But At if- least it's Kate Winslet and not like an... an- I don't know. I was going to say an unattractive person, but that and then I felt bad because it, that's all subjective. Yeah. But Kate Winslet is lovely, so. <laughs> all right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to derail your story. No, I, just... I think a valid question. Who is your favorite Backstreet Boy? If, oh, that's how, started. <laughs> that's how this started. That's how this started. We're going to add that question actually as a standard write or die question. Now. <laughs> I think it's a good call. It should be like, who's your favorite Backstreet Boy? And which babysitter's club member were you, but which did you want to be? Uh, if oh. you don't say Claudia, then goodbye. Well, you want to be Claudia, but like, none, how many of us were? I was Marianne, like 100%. Oh. Okay. I, w- I, th- I, I, I want to like say I was Marianne, but I think realistically I was probably a Chrissy. <laughs> I was Claudia. <laughs> of course you were Claudia. Whatever. Get out of here. Everybody wanted to be Claudia, and we were all either Chrissy, Mar- although I took a test online, and I was so angry because it told me I was Mallory, and I was like, no! I would have I canceled my internet subscription. Yeah, I was furious. I was like, this is nonsense. Goodbye. Um, okay. Oh, high school. So fast-forwarding. <laughs> Uh, fast forwarding, I wrote a lot on the internet. Like I, I think we're all pretty similar in that way where we probably grew up on the internet with like LiveJournal and, and MySpace and Friendster and all of that and kind of like making your name and, and learning how to communicate digitally sort of just by virtue of growing up alongside the internet. And uh, so I started working in publishing and children's publishing in – like 2008, I got a job at Scholastic. Um, and I'm skipping over the part where <laughs> my parents were like, you're not going to be a doctor? And I was like, no, I like books. We're not, no, <laughs> med school's not happening. Um, but I went, I got into children's publishing, um, but I was still always writing online on the side. And so the two kind of went hand in hand a little bit because, you know, that millennial side hustle. So you're like, I, I can't not be working. So it was like working full time for the Scholastic Book Clubs. And then I started writing for Book Riot, which like then kind of led to more um, pop culture criticism work. And because I had these like two paired specializations, 
it made me like the perfect person to approach when Disney needed a Spider-Man movie tie-in novel. They were like, could you do this? And can you do it in like six weeks? And I was like, 100%, I'm your girl, let's do this. <laughs> and and that's kind of how it happened. You know, I'm like, obviously truncating it, but that's that's the basic essence. I love it. That sounds amazing. It's kind of like you put out into the universe what you're interested in and the universe heard you and was like here you go (laughs) (laughs) i yelled about spider-man on the internet for five years and finally somebody listened to me i feel you know who has a story like that is um kirsten white Mm -hmm. she yelled about buffy the vampire slayer for like forever (laughs) and then and then they were like you want to write a buffy book and she was like yes do you know me It is amazing how many opportunities can come from the internet and specifically like Twitter. And like when people say like, "Mm, it doesn't matter. I'm like, to a point, like, yeah, you don't have to be there. But there are really like good things that can come of it. Like if you yell long enough about something, an executive is going to hear you somewhere. (laughs) Absolutely. I tell one of the things like when, um, People ask me for like publishing advice. I'm like, if you are comfortable doing it and if you find it's a place that you like doesn't necessarily like give you overwhelming anxiety or whatever, because not every space is for every person. But if you can be on Twitter and engage respectfully on book Twitter and media Twitter, like you 100% can find opportunities there because there are people looking and they're looking in the spaces that we are, which is really nice. Absolutely. I agree. And and I think that's the key, right? Like if you're comfortable, like I don't mm-hmm. think it should be like an all or nothing thing where like you have to do it, but if you like it and it's fun for you, then why not? Like you're right. not hurting any anyone. Um, and yeah, that's 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 something for our you know most of our listeners are Gen Z. Uh, yes, <laughs> as we have recently found out, we recently we found shocked. out we got we we got our like our metrics back for like our because we switched uh, servers and like uh, the platform where we where we have our our podcast and it was like all young people and and me and Kat were like what (laughs) you're like is this because we're on TikTok now (laughs) I was so shocked (laughs) so weird hello literally we've made that joke before we're like (laughs) (laughs) but we love we love them so much they are they come back like every episode and they just listen real hard so uh (laughs) So, yeah, I'm sure they'll appreciate this advice. No, it's good. I think also it just goes to prove that, like, you know, you should never be ashamed of loving something. Yeah. It it bothers me. And, and the idea that people make fun of someone merely because they love something. Like, that's the that's the only reason they make fun of them is because they love something a lot. And it's like, why? What? What do you get? Like we, I used to do a podcast with my buddy Paul Montgomery about comics, which was an interesting thing to do as a woman of color. Um, but he would always sign off with love what you love. And I was like, yes, we should just like whatever you're into, like be into it and don't be ashamed of like wholeheartedly loving it. It's so fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I totally agree. Um, speaking of like non writing things that you do well this is kind of writing but like you write articles for a lot of these sites and magazines and you do podcasts and stuff so you talk about story and you talk about these fandoms as much as you're a part of it and you write the books for it so how does that how did that feel kind of like going from someone who analyzes and and 
fans over and picks apart to like actually being a person who's creating the story that other people are fanning over. It's it's interesting. It's like nerve wracking, right? Because you've been on the other side of like, I love this thing so much. How dare this creator do it in a way that I don't appreciate or like I don't understand. Mm -hmm. And so one of the earliest things I think I learned, you know, writing Spider-Man, Spider-Man, who is like my probably like top favorite character of all time is Peter Parker. Um, so I'm writing this like movie tie-in or whatever and doing all these things that I was like, Peter Parker would do this. I got notes back from the studio being like, Peter wouldn't do this. Like our oh, no. Peter would not do this. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I had to have this moment, like this real like strange moment of self-reflection and be like, okay, so their Peter and my Peter are different and that's okay. Oh, that sounded like it was painful, though, the way you said it, that. It, it was. It is. It's It's hard in the beginning because you have to, like, constantly remember that, like, this isn't yours, right? Like, you're playing in someone else's sandbox, and so you have to take their perspective into account in a, in a way that you might not have to, like, in such a strong way in your original work. Like, with my original work, I feel way more comfortable and way more, like, assertive in terms of, like, no, this is my character and I understand why they're making the decisions they make. But when you're playing with someone else's character, whether it's like Star Wars or Marvel or whatever, there's somebody there who has like made it their life's mission of like, this is their life. And they have the complete and utter understanding of what needs to be on the page. And that's just something that now, like, you know, a few books in and, and a few years down the line, I can be like, I'm okay getting those notes. But that first round, I was like, I know Peter Parker, I swear. Like, don't fire me. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of like this thing that I think every author kind of goes through of imposter syndrome of like, I swear that you ha that you were right to hire me or you're right to buy my book. Like, I won't mess this up. But then you just get so worried all the time. Yeah. It's like that one meme. Have you ever seen where they're like me getting married and like you're at the altar and you're like, are you sure you want you, that you <laughs> yeah. like me? <laughs> that's like I've how we are that. all the time it's true <laughs> oh my gosh well you actually recently tweeted and i really loved it um i'm gonna read your own tweet back to you now you recently <laughs> tweeted one fun thing about writing ip is that sometimes i can it can feel like writing fanfic by which i mean i could enter a fugue state and come to and i've written three chapters that i enjoy reading because the characters are my favorites and they're doing things i want them to do which like <laughs> Love I that. kind of love that definition of IP, can I just say? <laughs> it's really great. It's, it's such a it's such a loving and fun way to look at it, especially because people have this stigma around IP and have a stigma around fan fiction. Um so dumb for, people. Uh some people. <sighs> but um so yeah, I just kind of love that you look at it that way. And I'm just, you know, you we are already kind of talking about the pressure of writing these things but yeah the fact that you write from marvel and star wars those are like two really big fandoms and so how how do you like do you interact with the fandoms i mean you're a fan yourself or do you try to not <laughs> when you're doing this i mean i think i stopped reading reviews and stuff a long long time ago like i i got like I remember on that comics podcast, I got like a really nasty review that was like, Paul's great, but that girl doesn't know anything about comics and blah, 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 blah. Oh. And I was like, oh, this made me feel like the worst person on the planet. So I'm just not going to do this. How dare they? But 
you know, it's sometimes you can't because people will tag you though. And and you both know, you know, when they're like, I'm going to tag you in this bad review. And you're like, why? <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> Leave me be. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I engage on a very sort of like in more intensive level with my friends, like offline, not so much like online. Like I've, I've pulled back a lot. Because I find that Twitter is a much, and, and social in general is a much more enjoyable space if I talk about what I like more than what I don't. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not to say I don't discuss, like, when things are, when when it feels like things are doing harm or, like, you know, more more intensive, like, issues of representation or, or whatever. That is all, I think, open, like, willing to have those conversations. But when it's just, like, this wasn't for me, like, this this wasn't my jam. Like I kind of leave that to offline conversations yeah. because it's like, what's that going to do? You know? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So do you, I, I feel like, cause I, I had this thought when I first was really actually pursuing publication because I did have a reading blog for a hot second. And my thought was like, do I have a right to criticize other people's writing? If I want to write myself, like, would that be hypocritical of me? So I pulled back, like, do you ever have that feeling of like, when you do discuss things, or when you do write articles about things that you have to stay neutral about it? Uh, I think that, you know, I stopped reviewing books online a long, long time ago. Like, I think mm-hmm. I, I basically stopped when Amazon bought Goodreads. I like just was like, well, I don't need to do this anymore. <laughs> um, but I am always willing to have the conversation provided it doesn't actually like negatively impact my personal life, if that makes sense. Like I'm not going to, again, barring conversations about harm and barring conversations about like things that are actively negatively impacting communities mm-hmm. where it's just like style or, or something. I don't, you know, there are books out there that I'm like, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't get why people like it. I don't see a need to really like talk about it when I'm just like, maybe I'm not the right audience for this book. And that's mm-hmm. okay, you know? Um, so that's kind of how I view it. Because now, if you look at the stuff I've written probably over the last, like, five years, the mo- the things I tend to criticize are mass media where it's like, you're not – I'm not going to hurt somebody's chances of being published. I'm not mm-hmm. going to, like, do any, you know, do anything where it will, like, seriously hurt a, an author's chance of, like, you know, whatever it is because my – I have to be conscious of what my platform is. Um, but I will critique things like, you know, the Jessica Jones TV show that I had a serious problem with or like, oh gosh, thing, you know, it's like things like that where it's like so massive. It's, it's participating in the conversation, but it's not driving it. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's a really good rule. And I think that that's something that book Twitter should listen to and get tattooed <laughs> on their forehead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So every morning, I can wake up and look in the mirror and get a tattoo that says (laughs) the whole thing that Preeti just said. I meant meant like you could see it in the mirror every morning. No, no, no. We're getting tattoos. (laughs) Use your whole back. (laughs) Yes. We'll be like the dude from Memento, just like the same message. (laughs) But you can't see it then. It has to be somewhere visible. There are mirrors. <laughs> who's, I, 
who's looking at their back in the mirror on a regular basis, Clarabelle? We're going to have to implement that rule on top of the tattoo rule. Or maybe set up like a tripod that takes a picture of your back every day. Yeah. <laughs> what is happening right now? <laughs> I I told, I'm sorry. I forgot to tell uh, uh, everyone. Well, Kat knows I'm like loopy because I've had allergies all day and I've taken like a cocktail of medication and <laughs> I'm trying not to sneeze, but it, I'm having a hard time not sneezing. So maybe that's why I'm, <laughs> this is not that different than what I'm usually like, but I feel like I'm a little more unhinged. <laughs> I, I feel like. I feel like like there was some kind of trigger word that like flipped a switch like and I think it was Backstreet Boys I'm not gonna lie <laughs> and it was like oh if that's how this is starting it's on it's on <laughs> I'm gonna counter that I think it was Titanic because who goes on a school trip with a Catholic school trip to watch Titanic <laughs> with no their idea. entire class they had no idea like what the hell <laughs> It was. It is a. It is a historical event. It is, and I remember everyone was like, "Bring tissues, bring tissues." So I brought a whole pack of tissues, and I sat next to my friend Jason, and he was like, oh, "I'm not gonna cry." And Jason, if you're out there, you used all my tissues, bro, and I had none. <laughs> How dare he? How it's dare? Real. <laughs> so I I went through a phase of being obsessed with Titanic, like like oh my God. in middle school, oh pretty my much. Gosh, me where too. I. Like the fact that it was, it had actually happened. It was like that moment where I was like, history isn't just a thing you read in a textbook. History is a thing that happened to people. And I think that ti- Titanic was the trigger for realizing that in like a really visceral way for me. Okay, can I tell you though? So <laughs> I also was like, with Titanic, I saw it six times in the theater. <laughs> like, amazing. I was that kid. So. <laughs> It was still totally like read all the books, read about the history of the ship itself and the real history and all of that. I went to see it when it came back into theaters in 2012 for the like mm-hmm. 15th anniversary. And I was sitting there and I was like, this is horrifying. This is a horrifying thing mm-hmm. that happened to real people. Yes. And I was yeah. like, who cares about these two kids falling in love? <laughs> Gumi Young has a secret. She's a Gumiho, a shape-shifting nine-tailed fox that must hunt down men and devour their energy in order to live forever. No one in modern-day Seoul believes in the old tales anymore, which makes it the perfect place to hide and to hunt. But Myung's life is turned upside down when she saves the life of a human boy on Jihoon. And after Myung saves Jihoon's life, the two form a tenuous friendship that blooms into romance, setting them down a path that will soon force Myung to choose between her immortal life and Jihoon's. Wicked Fox and its companion novel Vicious Spirits finds inspiration in Korean mythology, culture, and K-dramas. Wicked Fox has been called a vibrant debut novel that employs Korean genre conventions for an utterly original take on the young adult fantasy by Entertainment Weekly and fresh and fast-paced by School Library Journal Review. Wicked Fox and Vicious Spirits are out now from Penguin Random House wherever books are sold. Oh my god, hold on. Okay, this is, we're going, I don't care, we're going down this rabbit hole, but I have to tell you, I can't not say this. So I used to spend a lot of time in chat rooms when I was a kid around the time Titanic came out. And I would just like talk about Titanic with people all the time. And I would argue with them because there was these people who would be like, there's no Titanic without Jack and Rose. And I would be like, no, 
Lots of real people died on that ship. And I would get into all-out battles in these chat rooms for kids specifically to fight about Titanic. I loved the movie, but I was like, Jack and Rose don't exist. And you are desecrating the memory of the real people who died. So, like, I feel like me and Preeti would have been, like, fighting each other before you realize the truth. like kind of on some intellectual level was like yeah real people totally died on this but it was all very secondary to the romance no i no i i knew from like i don't even know how old i was when i came out like 10 years old or something i knew from that age like the these are some of these people are real like and i read a bunch of like nonfiction books for kids which apparently exists there's nonfiction books for kids about the titanic oh for sure and and like a lot of like tween like light romance fiction books about the titanic as well and just like would read it and and sob in my room and just like it was like my emo phase i guess <laughs> was reading titanic fiction and crying in my room and, and and I just and and then like if I ever got a chance to do any kind of class assignment where you get to pick any historical event, I always chose the Titanic. Titanic. And I, honestly, I'm surprised I didn't become Titanic girl because I was like really really hardcore obsessed with it. And now, it's not as bad now, but like there's these TikToks where people will be like showing you a scene in the movie and they'll be like pause right here zoom in on this person this is based on a real person here's who that person was yeah there's a bunch of i got stuck on titanic tiktok for like three days and it was just a bunch of you know oh this is this background character is based on a real person and this is who they actually were and did they survive did they not survive and it was great i was just like (laughs) Here's the thing, though, is like, do you get when I get to those TikToks, I'm like, I already know. (laughs) And I get really frustrated that I'm like, why are you trying to present this as new information? (laughs) Well, some of them I don't. The ones that are like, you know, uh, unsinkable Molly, whatever, or or like the band. I'm like, okay, why? Who Who doesn't know that? (laughs) Who's out here trying to get millions of views? By talking about the band, you know, like get over yourself. But like, there are some that are like, and and the ones that I really liked are the ones that focus on uh, BIPOC, that were on the Titanic, um, and trying to bring it back around to publishing. Cannot wait for, <laughs> cannot wait for, Luck of the Titanic to come out. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. I liked that. It was so smooth. That was so it was smooth. So smooth. This wow. is all bonus content. No, put it in the main episode. People deserve to hear about Titanic. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was going to name this episode Preeti Chipper and Who's Your Favorite Backstreet Boy, but now I think I need to call it Preeti Chipper and this episode's about Titanic. Yeah. I think that's better. I I think about it now where I'm like, I can remember doing all this when I was like, because it, it was, I think I was in seventh seventh or eighth grade when the movie came out. And... I can, like, or eighth grade, yes, because I can remember being like, I need all the books, I need to know all the information, I need to know everything, and I think about it now, and I can picture someone, like, at Scholastic, or someone at Penguin, like, they're all sitting in the room, and they're like, we need books about <laughs> Can we hire to write as many books as we can about the Titanic, about Leonardo DiCaprio, and everything therein? <laughs> like, 
I I feel like well could we could they hire all three of us and just give us like a one giant pen name and then we could just write a giant series about it that's just ongoing forever and ever and ever they still do I know like from my time at, at book clubs that like because teachers do a segment on the Titanic like they that is a piece of like you know social studies um that <laughs> kind of like what class would it be history or social studies whatever that there's always like in april in march and april there's always an uptick in sales and books about the titanic because that is actually oh. fun fact the titanic hit the iceberg on my birthday <gasps> oh Stop. so it's faded mm-hmm. it's faded for you to love the titanic Me and leo together forever that is amazing I'm kind I'm of all, jealous. I'm going to say one last thing about the Titanic, and then we really do have to talk about publishing. But I, I feel like most people don't know how truly tragic it is, because it wasn't just that they didn't have enough lifeboats, but they sank so slowly that there were moments where other ships kind of saw the Titanic, like like signs of, of the Titanic. And because the Titanic didn't have the right color flares and stuff, the ships were like, oh, we'll just check on them in the morning because like they didn't have the right emergency flares and things. And like, so there were so many chances for more people to be saved on this boat than, and it didn't happen because of like how many emergency things were not placed onto that boat. That sucks big time. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's my history lesson. I hope everyone (laughs) enjoyed this episode of Ride or Die. (laughs) I hope that I hope that teachers play this episode of Writer Die in their classrooms. <laughs> Our most educational episode yet. Writer Die is brought to you by this classic book fair. Just kidding. Unless. Yeah. <laughs> Unless. Sponsor. Sponsor us. Um, okay. Okay. Let's jump back into the. F- <laughs> I'm really trying here, you guys. I'm trying so hard. We're doing a good job. We're doing a good job. Um, let's jump back into the fact that you also worked on the other side of publishing, uh, which I feel like definitely gives like a different kind of perspective when you're a debuting author. So can, do you mind kind of like just telling us what you did in publishing and like how it might've affected how you viewed your debut experience? Sure. Um, so I started at Scholastic in like 08, like I said, and as, as an editorial assistant for the book clubs, which were those flyers you would get in school. Um, and what the editor did on that side was literally, it's more like a book buyer, like you're choosing what books go into the catalog. And so I started in, uh, where I was working on like picture books and then I moved into marketing at book clubs. Um, and then I went to Harper Collins for a few years and did trade and school and library marketing for them, uh, and Green Willow Books. And then I went back to Scholastic and kind of handled all their YA book buying for their teens and their BookBeat catalogs. Um, and so basically, it was actually great because I got such, I got like a really intensive education on how every part of publishing works. Because when you work for something like the clubs, it's special sales, but you're working with like trade marketing, school and library marketing, editorial production, like every facet of publishing is a part of that job which means being on the author side is very interesting because I tend to kind of take a very a much more like both chill kind of view of it where I'm just like well I kind of know how this works so I'm willing to ask the questions but if you say no like I get it 
Um, but also to my agent's chagrin, I tend to say yes to more things than I should because also I feel bad for the people who are doing who are on the publishing side where I'm like, I know you're tired. I'll just Aww. I'll help. <laughs> so it's it is really interesting because you know, I feel like there are a lot of conversations happening, especially right now, about gatekeeping and the publishing role and the agent role and the author role and it's interesting kind of knowing what I know about all three of those pieces and how the conversations tend to be weighted publicly in a very interesting way that Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that I agree with Um, because at the end of the day the people who work in publishing I truly believe like want to put out the best books they can and support the books they can in the way that they can, but are held back by a truly broken system. Like mm-hmm. just in general, I think the publishing, this is so bleak. I'm so sorry, but I, <laughs> no, I do. no, that's fine. We like honesty on this podcast. We literally just talked about thousands of people dying. That's yeah, true. it's fine. <laughs> I just, I feel like publishing as a system is, is inherently flawed because of, the way that it was designed to not work in kind of a mass market capitalistic structure. And so we have to try to fix something, but I don't, I don't know what it is, but I do know that at the, what I try to remember from the perspective of an author and someone who used to work in it, is that everybody's goal is the same. And that is for your book to succeed because you are an investment. And Mm -hmm. so whether that means that like you have to push a little bit more as the author and the agent because your you know publicist or your marketing person is working on like 7000 titles fine but at the end of the day like they don't nobody wants you to fail and that's just something i always try to keep in mind yeah i think that's great a great message mm-hmm. honestly well just because i think that there's some authors that get so jaded or like have heard too much before they even debut that they're of the mindset that publishing is actively working against them, which I feel like I, I feel like that shouldn't be the automatic assumption because if only because you'll drive yourself insane by thinking that way. Yeah, and like there's obviously bias that's involved and there's obviously like, you know, there's a reason that people of color burn out of publishing so fast. Like there's a reason that I left. There's a reason that people leave. And it's because it is a really much like society is a very <laughs> like difficult space to exist in as a person of color. Like the expectations on you are that, especially now I can't fathom it because I left like just, I left in uh, like January, 2019 was my last day basically in um, children's publishing And even since then, there is now even a greater expectation put upon people of color, regardless of level, to kind of speak up and fix things, which I I find Mm -hmm. to be abhorrent because of power structures. Like an editorial assistant shouldn't be responsible for fixing like a flawed manuscript from that level, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just like there are, I just always remember that even though the structure is biased and, and that, and that there is a system in place that exists that we all have to fight against constantly. There are people who exist within the system who want to do the work. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. I I definitely agree with that. I think that there is a lot of pressure on like BIPOC people, uh, especially to speak out about stuff, um, Mm -hmm. even if they don't feel safe doing so. Um, And it can be a lot of like, why aren't you talking about this without 
A, knowing the details of, like, what can happen to us when we do. Or, or, like, even knowing it. Like, how many people haven't been run off the internet, like, by, like, white supremacists because mm-hmm, they spoke mm-hmm. out about, you know, a racist book. When, in reality, it should be the people at the top who are yes. looking at this and fixing this. And I think that – I say this all the time, but, like, we we get caught up in fighting one another so much that we forget get to fight the actual system that's, like, yes! putting all these things in place. And until and like they're they're like okay well as long as you guys are busy um, they're gonna keep doing what they're doing and we look like we look like the whole circus so I think we definitely need to refocus like the target because like if we band together then we can be unstoppable and like driving change um, in a way that's like organized and smart. Right now, it's just like pure chaos. Um, so I completely agree with everything that you said. Thanks. Yeah, I yeah, I think it's definitely also kind of a. I hate to I hate to have to say it like this, but I do think it's a pick your battles situation. Mm. Just because people like like both of you are saying people burn out so fast, right? So, like, and even even like people who are just authors being activists about diversifying and having more equity in publishing and who aren't in the publishing houses what you fight for with your platform it tires you out like it it has to so I think that like am I going to fight this person who for their most part does a lot to self-educate and try to do good and they made one mistake or am I going to try to to fight a whole system that's broken and raise my voice to support fighting that because in the long run that will make more of a difference yeah. um that's what i often do think about as well i i think that the i think the last year has kind of muddled it just because we have literally nothing to do but fight each other on the <laughs> internet but there have been some call outs of individuals and those individuals have done a very unprofessional things and we see, okay, we were effective against this individual and act- something actually happened. Whereas when I fight like a publishing house, it's crickets because they can hide behind their corporate image. So I think some people are like, well, the, let's, let me fight this small individual fight because at least I've won one before. But it's like, uh, you're, you know, it's like picking up grains of sand. It's yeah. like, you're not going to move the whole beach that way. You know, just don't don't try <laughs> also also did you really win because like a lot of times like they come back they just come back and just act right. like nothing happened so it's sort of a waste of time it's it's nuanced right like everything is nuanced and like some some fights against individuals will be warranted and some of them will be like just this is not this is like mm. you like you were saying it's that person has shown themselves to be a person who like learns and wants to educate themselves and wants to be better. And I feel like there's a tendency on certain parts of, you know, the internet, it's the internet, everything's on the internet, (laughs) but there, there are certain parts where it's just like, no, we're going to, it's about the salaciousness. It's about the scandal and it's not necessarily about making the system better. Mm -hmm. And that's when I get frustrated and I'm like, I'm not engaging in any of this. Like I, I bear, I very, very rarely actually participate in any sort of book Twitter unless it's like publishing is broken. Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's it. 
That's yeah. really smart because it's anything healthier. else breaks your brain. Yep. <laughs> Take it from me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get what to do. I can't. <laughs> Honestly, I would even argue that, you know, we talked, we, uh, we were saying before, like, why make, why are you spending your energy on like making fun of somebody because they love something? And I think the same brain function that goes into like wasting your time doing that goes into like, like you know jumping into drama it's kind of like it's very instinctive it's not logic based it's not based on rationale it's purely based on the immediate gratification of like adrenaline oh i'm getting something out of this and i i need that right now to pick me up and i i think that it's once you kind of notice that that that's what's driving it then you realize like what is truly the things that make a difference and what is something that is a waste of all of our time absolutely and like if you see the authors that are changing publishing and that are making a big impact on kids lives they're not spending all their time on twitter fighting there are they are writing their books they are talking about stuff like when there's like a big thing right like publishing paid me like that was an important conversation Mm -hmm. for all of us to be a part of um and they're engaging with like the actual kids and like the audience and they're making huge strides for everyone like without also like breaking their own mental health and like sense of like privacy and safe space online so I think there's definitely a nuance and a balance that can be struck. Um, But I really like the way that you described it, Preeti, about, like, if there's, like, an overall, like, bigger conversation. Um, And obviously, if there's somebody who is, like, we've had a couple of instances where people were just doing stuff that was, like, beyond the pale, um, where you have to talk about it. But, but yeah, that's a a good sort of... um, policy to have in terms of like the conversations you have online and I think once people start to touch grass again it will probably be a little better I'm hoping Uh, I think definitely a big part of it for this year so far and last year it was like we were all inside and people are Mm -hmm. stir crazy so makes sense that everything is a mess here listen this is what you should use twitter for Talking up your book, never feel bad about self-promotion, and shit posting. And that's it. Yes. We're making that uh, the official <laughs> writer die list. <laughs> and chicken nuggets. Oh, chicken nuggets, I guess, goes under shit posting or food yeah, I, posting. Yeah, I think they could. Mm. Yeah. Me and Kat, do you know Kat had 100 chicken nuggets at her book launch? That sounds amazing. It was the best day it, of my life. <laughs> it was the most wonderful surprise. I, like... It was it was just so lovely. And it just goes to show that my team truly knows me because <laughs> they were like, what what should we get as food? Like, should we get like crudite? No, a hundred chicken nuggets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we hit Way it from go. we hit it from Kat, too. Uh, Beth yeah. was like, I'm going to go now to get the nuggets. I was like, got it. And Kat was like, where's Beth? And I was like, she'll be right back. <laughs> and, I'm not going to lie. I, I honestly was like, where the hell? Where the hell is my agent? Why is she not here with me right now? <laughs> it was worth it because of the chicken nuggets. Mm. Down the street carrying her chicken nuggets, like her eyes twitching because you're talking about her. <laughs> it was amazing. There's like photos of me just like surrounded by boxes of chicken nuggets. 
Ride or Die is brought to you in part by Tee Public. Tee Public is home to independent art on stickers, cases, shirts, and more. Check out our Write or Die store at tpublic.com slash stores slash Write or Die podcast. Check it out now. For Luceli Luna, ghosts are more than just the family business. Shortly before Halloween, Luceli and her best friend Sid cast a spell that accidentally awakens malicious spirits wreaking havoc throughout St. Augustine. Together, they must join forces with Sid's witch grandmother Babette and her tubby tabby chunk to fight the haunting head-on and reverse the curse to save the town and Luceli's firefly spirit before it's too late. With the family dynamics of Coco and action-packed adventure of Ghostbusters, Clarabel A. Ortega delivers both a thrillingly spooky and delightfully sweet debut novel with Ghost Squad. Order today at buyghostsquad.com. So, for the first time ever asking this question, how did it make, how did it feel, how did it make, how did it feel to make Jake Gyllenhaal laugh? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, to be perfectly honest, it's awesome in hindsight, like amazing in hindsight. In the moment, I have never been so mortified in my entire <laughs> life. Like, oh, wait, no. The, what I intentionally made him laugh was great. I forgot. Yeah. Cause... I intentionally made him laugh first, which was amazing. It's when I accidentally made him laugh that I was horrified. Yeah. Kat, have you seen that video? No, I have not. Please describe it to me in detail. I'm sorry, Preeti. <laughs> I got set, so um, while I was writing for sci-fi last summer, I had already, I had also published this book that was a tie-in to the movie, and so sci-fi was like, well, you can go interview the cast in London, like, we'll send you, and I was like, awesome, yes, I've never done a junket, but sure, I could, I could do this. It's the most stressed I've ever been in my life, it's like three days of just stress, they, like, (laughs) They're like, okay, you're going to sit outside this, you're going to sit in this hotel area all day, and we're going to call you in five minutes before your interview. And I I interviewed, like, Tom, Zendaya, and Jacob first, and that was the one where I was like, am I allowed to tell them I wrote this book, or, and they're like, yeah, 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 you can tell them, you can take a photo. The publicist, like, inside doesn't know, but it's fine, and I was like, what? (laughs) So, like, I was already coming off that, like, stressful situation where the publicist was so furious at me for, like, breaking up the schedule. So then they <laughs> take me to Jake Gyllenhaal and Samuel L. Jackson, who are both, like, very nice people. But I walked in, and they started asking about the tattoos on my arm. And I, I don't know how to be like, I need to start the interview. But their publicist is sitting in the back, like, waving her finger, like, you got to go. You got to go. And I'm like, oh, my God. Okay, okay. So I get through all the questions. I make Jake Gyllenhaal laugh with, like, a Scooby-Doo reference, which I was very, very happy about because I was like, oh, yeah, I'm doing so good. Like, this is going so well. I am a master at this. Who needs, like, training for junkets? And then at the end of the interview, I was like, thank you so much. Like, this is so nice. Like, I had such a wonderful time. Like, have a great rest of your day or whatever. And then I stood up. And I hit my head on the boom mic. No. <laughs> and I was just like, oh. And then Jake goes, oh. And I said, sorry, first junket. <laughs> and he repeated it and then laughed so hard he like doubled over. <laughs> it and is. And I was like, oh my God. And I like ran out of the room. Oh, but. <laughs> it is so think... good. It is so I cute. Think... 
That's adorable. It is, but I could you imagine it it happening in the moment? I would be also like, (laughs) fuck. It was was literally like, it was so like afterwards, like I said, like in hindsight, it's a very funny story. And I, it's like one of those like, oh, you're so charming and klutzy, like great. (laughs) I told this story at like a 4th of July party, like a few months later in LA, I was visiting my older brother. Yeah, and he's an actor, so it's, like, one of those parties where it's, like, a lot of, like, Hollywood people. So I was, like, telling this story, like, haha, so funny. And this guy who I'd met that evening, like, an hour later or something comes back to me. He's like, oh, so that story you told is really funny. My friend is Samuel L. Jackson's, like, body man. And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. And he's like, yeah, he said they all watched it happen on tape. And I was like, come on. No. Why would he tell you that? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but still, it could be because you were adorable. And, like, I'm going to stick with that story. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) But I, I I get the, like, in the moment like embarrassment because i i've had like not to i don't want to wait that sounded mean i was gonna say not to that degree (laughs) i just mean like i've never met i've never met someone as famous as jake gyllenhaal (laughs) um but i have had embarrassing like i was at you know a book event and i said or did something embarrassing in front of like an author that i really admire or like who's really big um so i definitely feel like (laughs) I definitely feel like it's happened, but I just feel um, like it's so hard to be cool when you meet people that you really like and admire. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, for sure. No, I mean, I honestly, to be like, to be completely frank, like being such an avid reader before getting into publishing is like the most embarrassing mix that you never anticipate yep. be- because these authors are people you've admired from afar and now you have to like be amongst them you and have be, to be normal like, up here yeah you're like i can't i i can't like don't, how can you expect this of me don't put me on i was at a i was at like a disney dinner at um ala one one summer when i don't remember it might have been ncte but i was sitting there with with a school and library person and i mentioned that i was a really really big fan of rick of rick riordan and she was like oh really and then she moved my table setting and put me next to him and i was like you can't do this to me please (laughs) like i can't i can't speak yeah that's that's a lot Cat bowed when she met Lainey Taylor because she had just came back from uh, just Korea. Back from Korea. <laughs> so she was like in Korean mode and like she was freaking out and she bowed. <laughs> I love yeah. it. I well, here's the thing is that I was actually really proud of myself. The bow bow aside, which like I think I played off pretty cool <laughs> as being like this is normal and we're all okay with it. Um, but like I it was like it was ALA. It was either Ailey or Bacon, but when one of them was in Chicago, because mm-hmm. I lived in Chicago at the time, and I saw her, like, walking down the aisle, and she paused to, like, watch one of those, like, panels going on at, like, the main stage, but she didn't go in. She just, like, was standing at the back, mm-hmm. and, and I was at, like, this booth, like, not manning it. I was just standing at it, and so I saw her, and I was like, oh, my God, it's Lainey Taylor, and my friend Janella 
was like, oh, you should you should go say hello. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, go ask to take a photo with her because you love her. And I was like, okay. And this is before I realized like authors like need their space when they're like when they're not like doing panels and doing signings. They like to like actually have personal time. (laughs) Um, So I went up and I was like, hi, is it okay? I love your books. Can I take a photo with you? And she was so nice about it. And then I bowed. (laughs) <laughs> and then I walked away as fast as possible because I could feel the tears. I could feel them coming. And I didn't want her to see it. And I just like zoomed into a, a, like an empty booth and just like squatted down and just started sobbing. Oh, <laughs> and Janella oh. took photos of me. <laughs> of course she did because that's what friends do. But like I, I was like played it so cool in front of Lainey and then just ran away and cried. <laughs> it's it's really hard when you like that is something that I feel like we should prep people for better because so much of book publishing is like you have to like you're going to be involved with other authors like that's mm-hmm. just you're going to be on panels and you're going to have to like be colleagues and like essentially like we said peers with these people and it's like I think when I one of my first few years at Scholastic uh Judy Bloom called me for a thing. Goodbye. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I answered the phone. I was like, hi, this is Preeti. And she's like, hi, it's Judy. And I was like, oh. <laughs> no big deal. It's just Judy. I would have died. <laughs> it's just Judy. <laughs> and no. you're just like, how do I I need to be able to speak to you like a normal human, but I don't I don't know how. Yeah. It's so it's honestly so hard. Who is the like Shelly works with R.L. Stein. Yeah. And Bob. Yeah. And she calls him Bob. Yeah. And the first couple times that she was like, Bob does that. And like, or that's how Bob writes, or that's how we do for Bob. I was just like, who's this random author that Shelly's obsessed with? Stein. And then she's like, Bob Stein. And I was like, who? Oh my God. I think because people in publishing always forget that, like, not everybody knows the things that they know. know. Like, everybody's just like stet all the time and doesn't ev- explain what stet means. You got to learn on your own or TK or any TK. of that stuff. And it's like, you oh just have God. to, like, sheepishly be like, what does stet mean? Because I don't know when you first get into it. It's true. And that's how it is. So, but, yeah. I mean, it's it's nice that most big authors are just, like, fairly normal when you do meet them at cons, especially when you're, like, an author that's also at the con, like, doing a panel or whatever. Like, they're willing to, like, just sit down and chat with you and, like, be funny with you and goofy with you or whatever. Um, so it is nice to, like, realize that they – are having just as much fun as you are you're not bothering them Mm -hmm. but you have to get over that initial hump Mm. yeah you have to remember that like especially in kidlet I feel like we we sometimes because children's books meant so much to us and because they're like so formative they were like these are celebrities like these are and they're like no I'm also a teacher yeah (laughs) it's yeah no, it's very, very true. But I would say, like, most of these really big, big authors that, like, people would cry if they met have been the nicest people. Mm-hmm. Like, Agreed. With, like, the only people I've ever met who've, like, been kind of standoffish aren't even the big ones. And I would say it's very possible that people who are standoffish are that way because they're also really nervous. 
and anxious or they're anxious. big buttheads. We yeah, don't know. Okay. I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> I try to be they positive. Are. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. But come on. Sometimes they're yeah, buttheads. But also, <laughs> but also sometimes they suck the most. <laughs> buttheads do exist. I, I will say. It's, but it's like the big authors, like they don't need to like be a butthead. They're like, yeah, I've, I stand on my own talent. <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So they don't and, gotta be mean. And, and I feel like also, not always, but, like, a lot of times, like, they have lasted this long because they are not buttheads. Like, you have yes. to not, like, ruin every relationship that you have thinking, like, it doesn't matter because, like, I'm too big. But, like, mm-hmm. we've all seen behind the music. Everyone can fall at one point it's or another. Look what true. happened to MC Hammer, okay? <laughs> I'm sure he thought he was always going to be what? famous. um okay that i did not expect that to be the example i just his story always stands out to me because he just lost so much money you know what i mean but anyway um (laughs) (laughs) um, i remember like someone shared like a venn diagram and it's like um in order to be in order to have staying power in the industry you either have to be like ridiculously like super duper 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 standout talented Mm -hmm. um really really nice or really really easy to work with and you only need two of those things that's true and like they all have intersections but like if you have two of those three things then you can probably last in publishing something like that I think that's a good I think that's a good way of putting it like I feel like part of what you know, we talked about like publishing journeys and, and there's no one journey for everyone. Like I know that there are a million ways of getting published and what worked for me was like, I work really fast and I'm very easy with my edits. And I think that is why I'm able to get the IP work I get because Mm -hmm. people know that like, I'm not really going to push back that hard because I I'm like, it's IP, like it's fine. It's your, it's your baby as well as mine. So like fine. Mm -hmm. And I'll turn it around super fast. You heard not the like super talented. Oh my god! I beg to differ. You you have two out of the three. Do you you think? Do you think just anyone can make Jake Gyllenhaal laugh not once but twice? (laughs) I don't think so. You weren't even trying the second time. You weren't even trying. That's how you should tell the story. That's how you should tell the story. I'm so good. I wasn't even trying, and I did it. That's such a good call. So you have like a a billion things coming out this year or three, right? Like about the same amount. Um, So do you want to talk to us about uh, some of your projects, like what they're about, what you're excited for? Um, I know you have another Avengers Assembly um, coming out and then Swordstone Table. You're part of that. And then Battle of the Bands as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about each project? Just be like a quick snippet of each. Yeah, so Avengers Assembly book two, the the Sinister Substitute, which is, you know, the kids are back at Avengers Institute after school program for superheroes, and <laughs> all is not as it seems. Um, it's really fun. The books are really cute. They're for like eight to eight to ten year olds. You know, it's Marvel. It's 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 you're it's pretty clear what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, I am very, very excited about Swordstone Table. It's an anthology, it's my first adult writing I think um and it's an anthology that is taking a new look at Arthurian legend and it's inclusive like I think every single author like comes from some kind of marginalized background wow that's cool. um yeah it's so good it's so good 
And I'm like, it's one of those things where you're like, how did I get into this? Like, it's with writers where you're like, huh? Like, Wait a minute. And it, Come no, on. No, 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 seriously. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not being self-deprecating. It's like, I write kid lit. I write, like, funny, silly, like, mm. you know, I write, like, fun books. But this is, like, Alexander Chi, like, Sarah McLean. Like, it's it's a it's a talent roster that I'm just very, very thankful to be involved Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just happy to be included, but I'm also <laughs> <laughs> I'm also like really excited about my story, which I can't tell you. I don't think I'm allowed to say too much about, but the galley's out. Um, okay, and it's basically a take on Merlin, Arthur, Morgana, and reincarnation. Ooh, right! And the cover is so cool. It's like it's very old school feeling to me, and I just really, really like it. Yeah, it's neat because the the cover has Arthur with like a sword on in on like a planet, mm-hmm. like walking towards you know and like a what space, is supposed to be Camelot, like a spacesuit type of like yeah outfit. It's it's really dope. Um, it's really cool. So you have like stories that take place in the past, stories that take place in the present, and then stories that take place in the future. It's very very cool. Definitely, we'll be checking oh, I that love out. That. Um, and That's for such pe- a great concept. Yeah, for sure. And for people uh, keeping track, the event. Avengers Assembly comes out April 6th. And oh, then thank you. <laughs> Swordstone Table comes out July 13th. And then Battle yes, of the Bands. Um, <laughs> right. Dates. <laughs> September 14th. And can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Battle of the Bands is an anthology um, where it's a YA anthology where every single story takes place the night of a Battle of the Bands. It's uh, edited by Eric Smith and Lauren Gabaldi. And it's basically we were all like emo scene kids. And so this book is just kind of an homage to being that kid and my story because this is who I was at these shows is about the merch kids who sell merch for their friends amazing and it's called merch to do about nothing oh stop (laughs) I love it so much I love it I cannot wait you (laughs) like as much respect to people at the merch table because this is no joke like like it can get hectic so yes. it can get hectic but it was my favorite spot to be in because I was like I can listen to my friends play I'm supporting you but I can also read my book yeah and you have a job like you have a thing to do like you're not you're not like just twiddling your thumbs or anything like waiting for your friends to get up to get on stage that's always good I love pun titles Mm -hmm. so much and I keep on trying to find a pun title for any of my books and every time I suggest them no one likes it like for once upon a k-prom I really wanted to call it how you doing (gasps) but no one liked it (laughs) I was like what it's so funny um but I I gotta say uh this one your title is is one of my top favorites so, so far it's so good it's up there up, with um up bot, there is bot with Anna Marie. Oh, oh oh my god <laughs> bot mixfa from N- Natasha Diaz, Diaz. Mm. thank you but also Anna Marie's personal yeah, title that one's really good uh, they too. call it the gay Gatsby <laughs> so good <It's> so good <laughs> So everyone who's on the podcast tells us their most embarrassing publishing related story or something they wish they'd known before they started. Uh, You can tell us uh, either or you can tell us both. It's up to you. So (laughs) my most most embarrassing story, I think, is very similar to the Jake Gyllenhaal story, which is that I met 
an author who I was a very big fan of um, at like a liar. Like I went out to like Connecticut to meet this author because I was like, okay, I'm going. I'm, I'm going to go meet this person. And I was very, very excited at the time. Like I was in line to have them sign my book and my friend was doing the post-it notes and she was like, you need to calm down. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I can, but I'll try. <laughs> oh my gosh yeah it's hard <laughs> so Aww. I get to the front and I hand him my book and it's like this book that's been like tattered or whatever and he was, he's like signing it and he's like oh wow this is a really old version and I was like yeah and then he's like trying to have a conversation with me and so he sees like one of my tattoos and it's uh he's like oh what's what's that tattoo say and I was like oh it says the word insatiable the word voracious is from this book called red or dead and he goes oh about the Liverpool football club and I went yeah it's about the the Liverpool football club it's about and he was like I know oh my god (laughs) and I like I could see on his face when he realized I wouldn't be able to speak to him And he went, well, thank you. Oh, he's like, I tried. (laughs) And that's all I can do. Um, And then something I wish I'd known, I think it's something that I've learned, you know, very recently is I joke about how I say yes to too many things, but like saying no Mm -hmm. is something that's so important because like you have a tendency, you know, and this is, this is a flaw in the system again, where there's so much onus put on the author to have to promote and to have to do all these things, but you have to learn to be able to say no and not think that your publisher is going to punish you for it. Like, I feel like maybe it's just me, but I do think it's something that people go through of like this notion of like, I, I owe this person. So I'm going to like do all this extra work, but Mm. it's a, it's a partnership and it's a professional partnership and you should be able to say no without like intense ramifications. Um, And that's something my agent taught me, which he was like, you can say no to things. Like it's fine. You should say no. And if you're not comfortable saying no, I will say no for you. And I was like, okay. So like, that's something I learned that, that has stuck with me. Like I said no to something this week and I was like, look, I said no. (laughs) Seriously, like I need to put that on my back tattoo because that (laughs) is something I have such a hard time with. And I Mm -hmm. definitely totally feel like that. Like if I say no, they're never going to ask me to do something again and they're going to think I'm difficult. They're not going to want to offer stuff to me anymore. So I have to say yes to everything. Um, Mm -hmm. So like that's 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 like a really hard lesson for me. (laughs) Like I have not learned it yet. It's really difficult because it's still, like, I still feel really guilty, like, but you have to, it's it's like, they're not, like I said earlier, like, they also want to sell the book, so it's not like they're gonna be like, oh, no, and, and the way you say it matters, like, it's, they, they know that you're, it's, it's a difference between being, wait, can you get, can we curse on this? Yep. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Uh, It's a difference when you're like, no, fuck that, I'm not doing it, fuck you for asking me, versus I'm so sorry, like, I'm not able to, like, have, add this to my plate right now, but, like, absolutely open to things down the line you know yes exactly yeah tone matters everyone's a professional here like as long as you're being polite and professional then I think it should be fine like 
there was it there was this time where like uh penguin teen was asking me to do things to like to like record things for their tiktok before i had my own tiktok and i was like okay i guess i could record stuff i don't really know how to make a tiktok video so i just like recorded a random stuff on my phone um but i forgot to do like two of the things they asked me to do and i didn't realize i forgot for like months and so afterwards i was like oh my god i'm so sorry and they're like no it's fine like <laughs> You, it was never a requirement. It wasn't mm-hmm. mandatory. And you did do like some of the things we asked you to do. But like, yeah, I literally didn't even say no. I just legit forgot. And they were totally fine about it. Yeah, I would have spiraled. I, oh, I did a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Not gonna lie. <laughs> well, that's what's so funny is like you think about this business and it all, obviously the stakes always feel so, so, so high. And they are, you know, of course. But on the other side of it, you know, that's like, this isn't like, this isn't a, uh, we're not doctors. We're not like, like no one is gonna lose a life because we didn't do a TikTok. <laughs> and that's something that I try to keep in mind of like, okay, I have to remember, you know, context of what this is. It's gonna be fine. Even if this like blog post I was supposed to write gets in a day or two late, it's gonna be okay. Yeah, that's, that, yeah. that's great advice for everyone listening. Um, all our all our baby listeners, I love you. Yeah. Preeti, <laughs> <laughs> um, can you tell all of our listeners where they can find you on the internet? Yes, mostly on Twitter, complaining about writing. <laughs> <laughs> At Run with Skizzers, S K I Z Z E R S. That's kind of my professional presence on the internet because I didn't know this stuff was going to be important. <laughs> Also on Tumblr and TikTok, run with skizzers there. And I think that's pretty much it. Oh, preetheechipper.com, my site, which is where you can find my books. Yes. And we'll have it all linked in the show notes. Yeah. Um, But thank you so much for uh, talking to us today. We had so much fun talking to you. It was very unhinged conversation, but (laughs) I feel like it's going to make for an amazing episode. (laughs) thanks for having me i had a blast of course (laughs) thanks for listening to write or die be sure to check out wicked fox by cat cho and ghost squad by claribel a ortega and while you're at it make sure to subscribe to us on itunes and leave us a review see you next time wordies and don't forget to spread the word